Hey, we said it was going to be an annual celebration. Most of you are like, I've never been to a church service like this. Don't worry, neither have we. So this is all kind of just on the fly here. But hey, we're making a quick transition here. Speaking of allegory, Pastor, Pastor Corey talked about allegories. I love allegories. I'm sure that you do too. You may not even realize you like allegories, but allegories are just fictitious stories that have a redemptive point. They really kind of point to God's redemptive purposes in our world. And you probably are aware of a very, very popular allegory called what? The Chronicles of Narnia, right? The Chronicles of Narnia. In book two of the Chronicles of Narnia, it's called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's an allegory, which means all those characters represent something else. The lion represents Jesus, the lion of Judah. The witch represents our enemy, Satan. The wardrobe represents a great hiding spot in which Peter, Edmund, Lucy, and uh, Susan, they get to, they're playing hide and go seek. They run into the wardrobe and they go, whoa, we thought we were just hiding in this closet only to find out we're walking into a completely different realm here. And of course, they don't know where they're at. They don't know what Narnia is. They've never heard of Aslan, but they finally bump their way through and they realize that they, they, they show up in the house of Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And Beaver says this, Aslan is on the move. And they're like, who's Aslan? And what does that mean? Aslan is on the move. In other words, Something is happening in Narnia that's never happened before. It's been foretold for a very, 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 very long time, and it's now beginning. It's happening in our lifetime right now. And as they go into, as Beaver goes into the scribe, basically it means this, that God is actually, through Aslan, the Lion of Judah, evil is being destroyed, and good is coming and replacing the evil. And we see, again, it's an allegory of what Jesus Christ has done. And the point is this, God is on the move. Brothers and sisters, may we never, ever, ever forget that God is on the move. That may sound catchy. That may sound like rally the crowds. No, I'm serious. He is actively saving people all over the world since Genesis chapter 3. When God promised to provide one who would take away the sins of the world. And ever since Genesis chapter 3, when sin corrupted everything that God created that was once perfect and good and right, God is saying, I am going to redeem my creation. I am going to redeem what I love. And I'm going to redeem the human race because I love them and they're created in my image. Let me show you a, a story. This points back to actually one of our trainings. Again, one of the trainings we were at, we were sandwiched between Bhutan and Nepal. And, and so we had Bhutanese and Nepalese and many other people coming from all over the neighboring countries that we cannot get in very well. But one such family that we got the fortunate opportunity to meet is Don Raj, his wife Sharmila, and their daughter Angeline. Before they were married, before they even had a daughter, Sharmila, Don's wife, she was a nursing student. She was a nursing student, and in, in halfway through her studies, she was diagnosed with a failing heart. In fact, when she was, she was having all kinds of issues with her heart and, and trouble breathing, and so when she finally, all the tests came back, and they were going back and forth between India and Nepal, they realized, hey, your heart is dying. The tissues are dying. 
and there's nothing we can do. Here's some blood, blood pressure medication just to ease the strain on your heart. There's nothing we can do. Well, she goes on to finish her studies as a nurse, becomes a nurse, and gets stationed in a remote village that is at a hospital in a remote village that is run by Korean missionaries that also have a school. That's where she met Don, because he was a teacher at this Korean school. She's serving there, and she has a place to stay in. They have a dormitory as a part of this hospital. And uh, one day, the head nurse, who's a Korean missionary, walks by her room and sees uh, a painting of a, one of the Hindu gods. Because Don and Char, Char, uh, Sharmila, they are, they are staunch Hindus. Devout. They're not nominal. They're devout Hindus. And what we see is that she walks by and she sees a picture of one of her gods like eating yogurt or something. And she was, a, the, the Korean missionary was abrupt. I mean, it's just irate. She took the picture off the wall and threw it across the room. She had not yet read that book, How to Win Friends and Influence People yet. <laughs> not the greatest bridge builder. So, obviously that st- caused quite a stir. There was quite an argument Sharmila, not yet married to Don, goes back, and, and they're good friends, and goes, tells, her what's, tells him what's going on. She's, he's like, you need to report this. This becomes a big fiasco, a nationwide fiasco. A political party takes her side, and ultimately they find the head nurse who, who kind of ran out to Kathmandu to kind of escape the pressure, brought her back. Eventually, all things kind of came to a head. She publicly apologized to all the crowds, and the case was settled except their heart was not settled because they are devout Hindus. And this only stirred the pot. And this invigorated him to be anti-Christian. And groups of people were actually, they were actually done before he was a Christian, was going around and, and seeking to drive all the Christians out from their area. And because of what happened also, the hospital that Sharmila was working at, she uh, was not able to, uh, they were actually closing it down. And so when they tried to re-up their visa, the government said no, and they had a leaf. Well, three days before the hospital officially closed down, one of the surgeons, Korean missionaries, called Sharmila into his office and said, hey, I know what you're going through. I know what's going on. I also know about your heart condition. And there's never been good news. And it's just getting worse. I don't care if you want to yell at me right now, if you want to hit me right now, whatever you may do, let me just say this. And he says, Jesus can help. Three words. Jesus can help. And then he gives her a Bible in Nepali and says, please read this. And that Korean missionary is kicked out, never to come back. Well, she goes home. They get married. Obviously, actually, she gives the Bible to her husband. Husband goes, what is this? I've never read this in my life. Who's this Jesus person? Reads Matthew 1, kind of the genealogies. He says, this is, this is a bunch of bunk. Throws the Bible under the bed somewhere. They forget about it. They get married. They have their first child. It's incredible except that their first child is born with very uh, abnormal. I don't know what the t- condition is called, but the limbs are much shorter. All, legs and arms are so much shorter. The doctors say he won't live past a year. And sure enough, they were right. Five and a half months later, he died. Up until that point, however, 
knowing that their, their child, their first child, the one that they love, they desperately reached, sought their gods. They prayed and they worshiped their gods. They prayed, they prayed, they prayed, they prayed. And you know what Don said to me? They never answered. He said, my gods were silent. They never did anything and my son died. So you would think that he came to Christ at that point. No, he actually became an atheist at that point. He went from being a, a, a devout Hindu to an atheist. He said, this is all bunk. I don't believe in any of this. He threw all his gods away. Took anything that had Hindu related and threw it all away and said, this is bunk. And then, uh, and because their child died, it was a depressing time. Two months later, he starts having some massive physical conditions, maybe related to the grief and the emotional pain. He has two surgeries. He almost dies twice, he says. He finally comes out of it. Thank the Lord. And then the family says, you know what the problem is? It's your wife. She's got an evil spirit. That's why your son died, and that's why you were sick. That's, that's the issue. She's the problem. So not only is Sharmila mourning the loss of her son who dies and thankful that her, her husband's back, but now the family's against her. It's a difficult, difficult time. Well, one night... She wakes up in the middle of the night screaming. And Don runs to her and says, what's going on? And her heart, she's having a heart attack. Her heart is giving up. It's been dying ever so slowly. She's having a heart attack. She goes pale. Everything's turning blue. Don is holding her. They're in a remote village, mind you. The hospital, the only clinic around, is shut down. So there is nothing. This is no cell phones. There's no taxi to call. There's no walk-in clinic. There's nothing. All he can do is grab a few pillows, make, try to make her comfortable, and just cries over her. And then Sharmila says, she heard these words, daughter, you will be healed. And so she tells her husband in a faint whisper, like, I heard something. Someone say, I will be healed. Can you go get that Bible from that missionary? And so he runs and tries to go find it and, and finds it under the bed, dusts it off, blows off the dust, opens it, just basically sets the Bible on her chest. And, and he says, I cried out. And he said, none of my gods that I grew up with my whole life ever came to mind. The only person that came to mind was Jesus. And he said, Jesus, help. Jesus, help. And he says, right then and there, my wife's body just went calm. And she was relaxed. And her color started coming back. And even the next morning, she was checking her pulse every 30 seconds, and it was regular. And so they went, they were finally able to get to Kathmandu to get testing done, going, what's going on? And the doctor's like, your heart's fine. There's nothing wrong with your heart. He's like, just in case, we'll put you on a 50% dose of your medicine, just in case, because we don't know what's going on here. Don goes to get the medicine at the pharmacy. He comes back, gives it to his wife, and she throws it in the trash. Says, my God has healed me. And for 23 years, he's never taken a, a lick of medicine and been back to the doctor. It's incredible. That's not the end of the story. Obviously, the Lord has got their attention. And we see that, oh, man, she believes, Don is like, something's going on here. Maybe there's something to this Jesus 
person. They go back to their home village. They search out a church. The same churches that they were actually trying to ostracize and to push people away, now they're looking for going, hey, now we're on the other end. We're from a Saul to a Paul here, right? And they go in and they realize Jesus is not just a healer, but he's a savior. And they give, his life, they give their lives to Christ. They're baptized. And then they start asking the Lord because, again, the the school shut down. The hospital shut down. They got no job. They moved back to Kathmandu, wondering what is the next thing. And they ask the Lord, God, what is it that you have for us to do? And God lays on their heart a vision to reach children and women that have been taken advantage of. Listen to his words. First of all, let me just say this. They have rescued since that time 1,325 children who have lived on the streets, beggars, or trafficked. They've restored 360 women who have been sex trafficked. They've trained over 500 pastors and leaders to help in this cause because, brothers and sisters, you think it's maybe bad here. It's terrible there. And there's no laws to suppress it. The government's just hands off. They don't know what to do. He says this, I give thanks to our Lord God that he has chosen me and my wife to serve the poor, to serve the oppressed, to serve the broken and the abused people. And I also thank God for that Korean doctor called Dr. J. Young Park who shared us about Jesus. What did he say? Jesus can help. God is on the move, brothers and sisters. God is on the move, and he is changing lives all over the globe, and we get to be a part of that. Now, you might be thinking here, I hear stories like that all the time. God is doing so many crazy things around the world, but does he work like that here? And the answer is an emphatic yes, that God is actually doing things like that in our own midst, in our church. And there are many examples we could point to to exemplify that, but one such example is Jesse Silgado. Jesse, come on forward here, and why don't you share with us what God is doing in your life. Morning, IBC family. Thank you for the opportunity to speak here today. Um, For those of you who don't know, my name is Jesse Salgado. I was born and raised in Port Angeles, Washington. Um, Some of you might know my parents, Jill and Mario, amazing parents. I grew up in IBC all through my life, and so this has been my home most of my life, so thank you very much for allowing me to speak. Um, To start my journey with Christ, it started when I got baptized around 14 years of age. Um, That's the point I mark in my life when I confessed Jesus' name before men and proclaimed my belief in Jesus as the only way of salvation, and that his atoning death on the cross is sufficient to forgive all of us for our sins. And that was around 2012. Let's skip ahead to 2019, and I turned 21, and I had my first sip of alcohol that plunged me into a six-month binge-drinking season in my life, where I gained 40 pounds of weight, and I developed depression, anxiety, insomnia. And this marks the time in my life where, for a couple of years, I was filled with behaviors such as these said in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, 
contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so this was my life for these years. This is who I was and what I was practicing. But during this time, the pull of the Lord never left me, truly. And even the convicting power of the Holy Spirit came upon me in multiple occasions that I can recount. Specifically, I would always feel the pull to read my Bible. I'd be sitting and I would see my Bible on the shelf. And I always feel that pull to, to read and to go back to truth. And I wouldn't answer that call often, but every time I did, the light of which I read would always shine through into the darkest places of my soul. And it would always bring me closer to godliness and closer to Christ in that moment, even if it was in small amounts. And so let's fast forward to early 2021. I'm with this girl that I've been dating for around five years and I've been living with for a year and a half. Um, But after reading a bit more of my Bible, the Spirit convicted me of my immorality, and I cried out to God in repentance, asking him to take this relationship from me, if it not be his will for us to marry, for I am too weak. So I continued to pray for five months straight this prayer of surrender, and in late May of 2021, a series of events led us to break up. And after that breakup conversation, a great peace came upon me in that moment, the peace that surpasses all understanding in Philippians 4.7. And at that moment, I knew that God had answered all my prayers that I had prayed in the past and delivered me from something that I could not do myself. But just as the Israelites cried out to God and were delivered from slavery in Egypt and shortly after forgot their God and made a golden calf, I too made a golden calf and went right back to the sin that God had delivered me from. Within three and a half months... I had already had a new girlfriend. She was Swiss, and so I moved to Switzerland in August of 2021 and stayed there till November of 2021. And so because of this return to what I had um, been delivered from, God's discipline came upon me in my life. When I got back home from Switzerland because of visa issues in November, I went to church. And after the service, I went up to Pastor Aaron just to say hello, and we exchanged clothes, but in that moment, he said something to me that we all say to each other often, but in that moment was much more profound, which was a simple question, how are you doing? And I wasn't doing very well in that time, so I broke out in tears, and I started crying, and he saw my pain and invited me to lunch the next week or the following week after that, and... um From that sparked a time of discipleship that has lasted to this day and has been a great blessing from God. And so through this relationship with this girl that I'm dating, God's discipline came upon me for around eight months. There were so many things that happened at that time, painful things, lots of suffering both on my part and her part. Painful things, emotional damage, crippling anxiety. But one verse comes to mind when I think of this period of reproof which is Psalm 118.18, and it says, The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. And so he never abandoned me, but was patient with me, slowly pulling me closer to himself over a decade of time. This suffering brought me to read the word more and to pray more often. And one verse in particular changed my life forever during a time when I had loads of crippling anxiety God spoke to me in Matthew 6, 33, saying, 
but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And the key to this was the word first. It clicked in my head, and I realized my whole life I had been seeking God second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, all the way down, but I had never been seeking him first. So God opened my mind to truth, and so I began to seek him first in everything. And that means everything. That means work, relationship, my desires, my goals, my finances, my pursuits, my ambitions, where to live, who to marry, what ministry to go into, who to hang out with, what school to go to, what risks to take, what investment to make, who to pray for, all the way down to what you eat and drink. We consult our God and ask him, inquire of him, be obedient to him and seek him and him first above all things. And this is what God had shown me in his scriptures at this time. And so after this, Pastor Aaron and I had a conversation about Abraham and Isaac and God's test of faith to Abraham. And I related Abraham's willingness to sacrifice his son to the possibility that I may have to give up the person I love the most, which at the time was clearly my girlfriend. I wanted to marry her, but what did God want? And so I prayed a prayer of absolute surrender. And it sounded a little bit like this, shortened. Lord, please forgive me of my sin, for I've gone back to what you led me out of. I have loved this girl more than you for too long, and my whole life I have loved something else more than you. I ask, please forgive me, and Lord, if it be your will for us to break up, please do it for me this weekend, for I am too weak. And that weekend, May of 2022, we broke up. That peace came over me once again, the peace that surpasses all understanding. And this time, I didn't go back to the sin that I had done before, but God strengthened me and guided me and brought me to love him more than anything and to seek him first above all things. And through a period of time, he blessed me greatly in my life, starting Bible studies and fellowship times and ministry in the youth, allowing me to serve at Peninsula College and to be a gospel living for them and for people there. And so my encouragement to you all is this, in Luke 15, 4, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And so, yes, God seeks after you and he cares for you. He loves you, even in the midst of sin, even when you are struggling, suffering, fighting, even when you yourself are faithless, God is faithful. Whether you're struggling with anger, hate, lust, an unforgiving heart, stress, anxiety, pressure from work, relationship issues, financial issues, lack of joy, lack of love, sickness, loss of a loved one, whatever the struggle, whatever the hurdle, whatever the pain, God promises to take care of you as a father to his child, as a shepherd to his flock. God never fails to provide for his people. And so I'll leave you with this, Luke fifteen eighteen to 24. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. 
And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring a fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And so as we celebrate the goodness of God in this past year together as a church, know this, that God always finds his sheep. Whether on the side of a cliff or in the den of wolves, he finds his sheep. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you. Jesse, thank you. You want to preach next week? <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> Just as he said, I don't, I don't want to reiterate even what he said. The fact is, all of us are coming in here at, on a journey. We're all on a journey. All of us are coming in with levels of brokenness, struggle, pain. And the question is, what then? What hope do I have? Well, we do have a way maker. He's a miracle worker. He's a promise keeper. He's especially a light in a very dark place. Who is that? My God, that's who he is.